are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my own consulting work that I've been doing, both at Insignium as well as before. I'll get to the program in just a second, but a big thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show, you can always catch the podcast. We were on the air with Tanya Waring, who is the author of The Power of Manifesting, and she's the founder of The Manifesting Mindset. She teaches executives, entrepreneurs, and everyday people how to get what they want in business and life using a proprietary manifesting process. We talked about how she discovered the manifesting process for herself, some of the pearls from her book, and how manifesting makes a difference in the lives of the people she's worked with as well as in leadership. With us this week, we have with us Kirk Bowman, who is the art, who is the founder of the Art of Value, a value pricing consultancy in Dallas, Texas. He's also a practicing fellow of the Verisage Institute. He's the host of the Art of Value Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to exploring the business model of value pricing and professional services. He joins us today from Allen, Texas. Kirk, welcome to Working on Purpose. Elise, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation to join you. You are so welcome, and as I like to do with my guests, I like to tell my listeners just how I found you. I was minding my own business when I got invited to a Verisage symposium where you were there with a bunch of other really smart, interesting people, and that is how we met. So just to kick us off a little bit, maybe, can you say a little bit about yourself, Kirk, and then let's talk about that, um, about the symposium. And I know before that you were at your own conference as well, but first things first, a quick intro to you, who you are and how you describe yourself. Okay. Well, I'm a former musician, uh, trained musician, taught and played saxophone in my first career, and then my second career moved into software development. In fact, I've still got a software development company, did that for 25 years. But I guess back in 2010 is what happened that led me to my current journey. I was at a conference, and I was actually a speaker on a panel that was talking about estimating and billing practices in software. And I was the person on the panel that said, the only way to do it really is by the hour because you don't know how long it's going to take, and that would seem to be the fair way to do it. But there was another consultant who said, if you bill by the hour, there's an artificial limit on your income. And that really hit home for me. And because of that one interaction, it led me to study this business model called value pricing, and ultimately within... In three months, I made the decision to switch to that business model in my software business. Because of that, we had uh, really stellar revenue growth over the next two years, 50% the first year, 70% the second year. And so now I'm on a journey to help other 
professionals make the same type of transition to actually stop selling time and start selling results to their customers. So that's kind of my quick resume, if you will. Oh, I just never tire of getting to have these really thoughtful, interesting conversations with people like you on the air, Kirk. So one of the things that you and I talked about when we when we were talking about having you come on the show related to all this that I think is also another way to presence this for our listeners is you said something along the lines, and you fix this for me if I butcher it, okay? Something like, you know, when you find your purpose in your work, um, why not take that purpose to your customers and you really can't bill by the hour because that would be a conflict of interest that cannot be reconciled in relation to that purpose of your why. Do I have that right? And if I do, if I don't fix it, and will you say why? Sure. We are exactly right. When you bill by the hour, there is a conflict of interest with your customer and it's actually fairly simple once you stop and think about it. For a customer... They want the lowest price. Well, how do they get the lowest price? Well, when you bill by the hour, it's for it to take as few hours as possible. Flip it around the other way. For the professional, you want to maximize revenue and therefore profit. Well, it's in your best interest for it to take as many hours as possible. So the customer wants the lowest price, fewer hours. You want higher price, more revenue, more hours. How do you reconcile that? And I've known several people who bill by the hour who are very ethical people, but that conflict of interest still exists no matter how high or low your level of integrity. You can't explain it away. Furthermore, customers are really not buying hours. The only reason they're buying hours is because way back in the early you know, 1900s, some lawyer up in Boston came up with this idea of billing in six-minute increments, and there's a whole history behind that. But the bottom line is, that's buying inputs. Customers are buying results. And so if your work matters to you, if you found your why, to get congruent, you need to also focus on the customer's why, the result they want. Thereby, you're aligning your interests with theirs And you're both pulling in the same direction. And so you remove that conflict of interest. I just think this sounds so yummy. And I'm not just saying that because I'm hungry and it's the dinner time for me over here, Kirk. But um, (laughs) for those listeners that are sitting there scratching their heads like I was when I first saw the actual phrase value pricing, could you say a bit more about what is exactly value pricing? So value pricing is simply a business model where in order to determine the price, you first have to have a conversation with a customer to determine why it is they are seeking to work with you. What is the result or the outcome that they're seeking? So for example, in software business, customer may come to us saying we need a CRM system. Okay, but why? What do you think that's going to give you? Is that going to increase sales? Is it going to reduce errors? Is it going to increase profit? Is it going to increase or reduce turnover? Those are the types of things we want to understand. And then once you understand the outcome the customer is going to receive, then you can set a price that creates a high ROI for them and most of the time a higher profit for you. And all of a sudden, neither one of us care how long it takes, as long as you do what you said you would do by the time you said you would do it at the price you said. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about that for a little bit. There's lots of things I want to get out of you in this conversation, but let's take this part here. So I'm the customer, Kirk, and let's say I want you to build me a new website. 
how would you go? How would we go about this process of arriving at, at, at doing working from a, the business model of value pricing? What would that look like? It would start with a conversation where I'm going to ask questions. Now, initially, in that first conversation, you as the customer probably are going to want to tell me, well, I want a website, and I want to hear what it is you want. But I also want to steer the conversation fairly quickly in the direction of, okay, I understand what you want, but why do you want it? Are you trying to increase your sales? Do you need more inbound leads? Are you trying to implement a new technology? Is there a new opportunity that your business could seize if your website was up to date? Maybe you're going to be fortunate enough to get a radio show on the Voice American Network, and you know you need a new website to match that presence. There are several things that could be driving why you want that website. And I want to know what that is. And I also want to visit with you long enough so I understand how is that going to have an impact on you, not just professionally, but personally. And so I simply ask open-ended, inquisitive questions that are directed toward understanding what is the result you're seeking and why are you seeking it. Once I've done that, then everything else follows, which would include you know, defining scope, when do you need it, coming up with a price. But my price is going to be set based on the context of why do you need the result and what is the result and what is that going to do for you? Okay, I got all of that as somebody who has uh, been selling, you know, some kind of consultancy service for many, many years, not ever from the value-based model, I might tell you. But so let's say that I say, well, look, Kirk, I just, you know, I just need to have a website presence because everybody else has a presence. And I, I just, I'm losing business because people say that you don't have a website. If I say that versus what you said before of, look, I'm going to have this radio show, I'm launching this book, I'm speaking, so tell me, if you could, for our listeners' sake and for mine, for that matter, what would be the difference between those two different responses in terms of how you might work with the client and maybe offer your pricing? Well, for example, when you tell me you're losing business, I'm going to ask you to quantify that. I'm going to say, okay, how much business are you losing? How do you know you're losing business? If you're not certain, I'm going to ask you to guess. I'm going to say, okay, well, what? Do you, you know, if your revenue is 100000 a year, do you think you would make an extra 25000 Do you think it could be 50000 And we may not know the exact number, but we're going to get some kind of a range. If it simply comes out that you just suspect you're losing business, but you don't have any concrete examples or you, know, you can't quantify that, then I'm really going to, you know, in a polite professional manager, say, well, Maybe we need to validate that first because maybe investing in a new website, that may not be the best investment or the right investment. Maybe there's another reason that you're losing business or maybe you're not losing business. Maybe that's just something somebody told you. And so I want to explore that. I don't, if there's not a concrete reason or why, I want to do the due diligence and make sure that I'm actually going to be helping you. It's kind of like a doctor, right? A doctor they want to make sure they do no harm. I'm exactly the same way as a consultant. I consider that my professional integrity to make sure that you're in a better place after our interaction, even if that means you don't work with me. I like that. I mean, that just screams integrity to me. I like that a lot. The other thing that I like about what you said there, Kirk, is that it strikes me that if you're going to ask somebody those kind of questions, if I give you that response of, look, I need a website because everybody else has one and I'm losing business, but I can't tell you anything about why that is, 
those probing questions might actually get me on the court of trying to figure out, well, what, what is it that's driving this, which might actually awaken in me an even deeper desire to want to work with you than what I would have had before. Exactly. Mahan Khalsa, in his book, uh, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play, he talks about the idea that the way you sell is an example of the way you solve. In other words, by interacting with you in that kind of pre-sales conversation, you want to do it in a way that gives the customer an idea of what it would be like to work with you. And you're not doing it in a false way or trying you know, to act as something you're not. You're simply trying to make sure, as I said, that they're going to be better off after working with you. So once once we determine, and you were really clear then, Kirk, about just what it is. What's my why? Why do I need you? What do I? What's my outcome? What What do I need to have come out of this arrangement? How then do you decide about pricing? What does that process look like? And how do you how do you present that to to the the prospect? So this is one of the most common questions I get. How do you come up with the number? And yeah, the first thing I'll exactly. say that's what I'm asking. That I. <laughs> That I think puts it in perspective. Uh, when you think about billing by the hour, uh, I put it this way. I say hourly billing requires a calculator. Pricing requires courage. Meaning, in order to set a price, you're going to have to make a judgment. Now, you want to try to base your judgment on as much information as possible. And ideally, you want to try to understand what is the perception of value that the customer has, you want to see it through their eyes as much as you can about what it is the outcome is going to be and what it's going to do for them. Once I have an idea of that, then you want to make sure the price you're setting is going to create a great ROI. Now, what's a great ROI becomes the next question. Well, for example, McKinsey and Company, one of the famous consulting companies says, well, if we don't at least create a return of three to one, we're not going to engage. So that's one idea. I have other colleagues who say they want to create a minimum of 10 to 1 for the customer. So exactly how you come up with it requires judgment rather than a formula. But there are some examples out there that at least give you an idea of the ballpark that you're wanting to shoot for. Ideally, if you can imagine a graph in your mind that has three bars, so it's a bar graph. The first graph, the shortest bar, is going to be the cost to deliver whatever it is the customer is buying. Second is going to be the price you're going to charge. And this this bar is taller than the first bar. And so the gap, right, basic accounting between the price that you charge and your cost is your profit. And that's where most of us stop. What we forget about is the third bar, and this is the tallest one. The gap between that third bar, and by the way, that third bar represents the value to the customer. It represents what they receive from interacting with you. That value should be higher than your profit. And ideally, it needs to be at least two to three times higher, if not more. Because the more value the customer receives in relation to your price, the easier it's going to be for them to say yes. And the higher that value is, it's likely the more transformational what you're doing for them will be. Mm, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And the ROI piece is really, really important. Uh, I can tell you that within Insignium, um, we try to go for a 50x um, ROI. 
I'm, I don't know that we always get there, but that's, that's what we shoot for. Um, but I love the idea that you're actually considering the return on investment for these people and the, and the value that they deem they get. So in the conversation, when you're talking about price, then I would, I got to guess that you're somehow trying to feel out even in the, the verbal exchange, what they think would be worth the investment. So before you even actually present something, you know, formally, there's some kind of a dialogue about what that might look like. Is that right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. One of the things that I learned early on, sometimes we will call, you know, the the money that the customer has to spend, we'll call that a budget. One of the things I've learned is that the budget is not the budget. Meaning that <laughs> if the value that you're going to create is significantly higher, it will incentivize the customer to reallocate funds, go ask for more funds. I'll tell you a story that happened to me, I guess it was about 2012. Uh, our software company was engaged with a, with a major retail brand. And my direct contact was uh, vice president of technology. And we were having a conversation. And I knew in the conversation that what was most important to him was project management. The reason is because the system we were developing and supporting, it was an important system within the organization, but there were much bigger systems, online e-commerce, financial, things like that, that were really his primary responsibility. This system, although it was critical, the best outcome for him, and he told me this, was that he would never hear about it. So I knew what that meant. It meant Not only did he want us to manage our team, but he wanted us to manage his internal team. He wanted us to lead it for both sides. And so I structured it that way. Gave him three options, which is part of value pricing, giving the customer choices. And I left project management out of the lowest option so that if he needed a lower price, there was one there. But he was going to be giving up something to get that lower price. He wound up picking the highest option. When we got to the end of the phone call, he said, wow, I didn't know it was going to cost that much. I've got to go get more money. Meaning, you know, I didn't think I was going to spend that much, but the value's there, so I don't mind to go ask for it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I love that because what that di- what that says for me is that just awakens possibilities that that opened the channel for possibilities that maybe you were actually solving other additional problems for him that he didn't see that could be solved all in one one fell swoop. And I, I just see that as true service, truly doing something right by the customer. Well, and part of it was the certainty we offer. I came to him and I said, we will do these things. You will receive these things, and here's the price. Do you want to buy it, yes or no? In other words, even though we're selling, quote, professional services or professional knowledge, we were allowing him to make a buying decision the way you buy most other things. For example, a car. You you don't go to the car dealership and say, how long did it take to build this car? How much did you pay the guys who built the car? You don't do that math. You just want to know, no. okay, what's the price? And there may be some negotiation involved, but the bottom line is when you purchase it, you know before you sign on the dotted line what the price is. Right. 
All right, hold that thought, Kurt. It's already time for our first break. It goes so fast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Kirk Bowman, who is the founder of The Art of Value. It's a value pricing consultancy here in Dallas, Texas. He's also a practicing fellow at the Verisage Institute. He's the host of The Art of Value Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to exploring the business model of value pricing and professional services. He joins us today from Allen, Texas. We've been talking a bit about just what is this value pricing concept. After the break, we'll get into what it looks like from the owner's vantage point as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Kirk Bowman, who is the founder of Art of Value, a value pricing consultancy in Dallas, Texas. He's also a practicing fellow at the Verisage Institute. He is the host of the Art of Value Show, which is a weekly podcast dedicated to exploring the business model of value pricing and professional services. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Kirk, while you and I were on on the break, we were talking a bit more about how we want to make sure that we we finish this section about about pricing. And and you and I were chatting about just the perils of of pricing by the hour. Will you say a little bit more about that? I will. So, in the first segment, we talked about the idea that it's conflict of interest between the customer and the professional because the customer wants a low low price, fewer hours. The professional wants a higher price, more hours. But there's other reasons. 
We talked also about the fact that you don't walk into a car dealership and ask them how many hours it took to build the car. But yet, when we get to professional services, things like accounting, legal, software development, any type of creative activity, great, uh, graphic design, web design, etc., customers have been trained by the professionals. It's our fault to ask, what's your hourly rate? Well, the reason customers do that is, number one, we trained them. Number two, it gives them a false sense of security or control. They somehow feel, well, hey, if it's by the hour, then, you know, if it, if it gets done quicker, I'll pay a lower price. Well, what happens most of the time is we want, we're lousy at estimating. Part of it's because just what we do, it, there's creativity involved, and it's hard to estimate creativity. It winds up running over, and the customer winds up paying a higher price, and then et cetera, et cetera. It's just a bad business model. I mean, if you've ever been a customer on the receiving side of an invoice with hours on it, I'm sure you've either looked at it and gone, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was going to be much, or oh my goodness, why'd they spend time doing that? And by the way, you don't have any context to evaluate where they've spent their time because you don't do what they do. But it gives you a false sense of security. Ultimately, as a customer, you don't give any concern to how long it takes as long as you get it when you need it. And by the way, if you get it faster, it's actually more valuable to you. And so you should be willing to pay more. FedEx has taught us this, right? If you absolutely positively want to get it there overnight, go with FedEx. Now, if you've ever shipped anything overnight with them, you know they're going to charge you a high price. And FedEx was smart enough to go, you know what, we can offer choices. We can get it there at 8 a.m. the next day or just sometime the next day. And by the way, those two packages are probably on the same truck. You want to talk about cost, they're actually incurring more cost to deliver the later package. But yet they're willing to do it because the premium they get on the 8 a.m. package more than pays for that extra cost. So it just doesn't make any sense to bill by the hour to focus on cost. The other reason I hate it is because it actually transfers risk from the professional to the customer. The professional is the expert. You ought to have some clue how much this is going to be in terms of price. I'm not saying you have to get it down to the penny, but you ought to be able to put it in a ballpark. And when you provide certainty to the customer, you're actually demonstrating your expertise because you're transferring the risk back to you where it should be. The customer's never done this before. You probably have done it dozens or more times. You should be taking on that risk. It's not really risk for you, but it's high risk for the customer, and customers will pay for certainty. So multiple reasons why I just think it's a bad business model, and it's a horrible deal for the customer. Mm. Well, I'm completely convinced. Thank you very much. Anybody else listening? Maybe we get a few a few converts, but I know you've got me anyway, Kurt. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say from the customer's vantage point before I take you over to the actual the consultant's vantage point or the professional service provider's vantage point? I would just challenge those that have bought services by the hour to think about what would it be like if you were able to buy that same thing at a fixed price up front with a guarantee? How would that change your experience? I'll give you what seems like a very mundane example, but there's a plumbing company here in the Dallas area, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing. We had to replace the trash compactor in our kitchen. Well, guess what they did? They came out, they said, okay, 
we're going to charge you, you know, this fee just to kind of see what's going on. If we do more work, then, you know, we'll waive that fee. Turns out, yeah, the compactor was shot. They couldn't fix it. They had to replace it. They gave me three options, okay, good, better, best. And they said, for each one, here's the price. Which one do you want? Which one do you think I went with? The middle one. Because I didn't want the worst, and I didn't want to spend the maximum amount of money, so I thought, eh, in the middle. That's probably the right one for me. But it was a fixed price. A plumbing company can do it. If plumbers can do it, everybody can do it. So I'll get off my soapbox with that. Okay, great. Got it, Kirk. Thanks. Very excellent explanation. I totally got it. Well, let's turn the coin over now and talk about it. this whole the, the business model of value pricing from the vantage point of the professional service provider. I, if I have memory right here, then I think I remember you saying something maybe on your own website that in your first year as a provider, um, I think you said your revenues went up 56% or 79%, one of those two. Tell us which one it was, if you can. So the first year, we increased our revenue by 56%, and the second uh, year, it was in the 70s. I don't remember the second digit right off the top of my head, but we saw that type of growth year over year in our top line revenue when we switched to this business model. Okay. Help us understand, you know, why. If the customer's winning in this deal, it seems like, you know, the way that we've been traditionally thought to think is somebody has to lose. And I know that's not what we're getting at here probably, but how can you also win as a provider? So you bring up an excellent myth, okay? This idea that in business, one person has to win and one person has to lose. Business is not a zero-sum game. We're not playing poker. In poker, one person wins and everybody else loses. No, in business, for business to work properly, the way it was intended, way back even in the barter system, both parties had to come out ahead. In other words, if I'm the customer, I value what I'm buying and what it's going to do for me much more than the cash that I'm going to give you in order to get it. And I, as the professional, want that cash because that's my livelihood, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a win-win. So I, I, if I were to reframe your question, it might be along the lines of, hey, was it fair for you to have a 50% increase? <laughs> you know, you might ask that. Some people, you know, they'll actually come out and say, sounds like you're gouging the customer. No, I'm not. Okay, billing after the fact and going over estimate, that's gouging the customer. Telling the customer, for here's a fixed price for this scope of work, and here's the delivery date, and I'm going to give you a money-back guarantee, that's not gouging, that's being professional. And so we started doing that with customers. We started with new customers. What we found is when we started looking into why customers were hiring us, there was room for us to bring home a higher profit because we were already creating so much value. We weren't even fully aware of the value we were creating. So in a lot of cases, the margin was already there. We just weren't charging a price that the customer would have paid. And so we started doing that, and we did it with new customers first, and then once we got it under our feet, we looked for opportunities to transition existing customers. We set a goal. We said in 12 months, we're going to be doing value pricing with every customer, whether they're new or an existing customer. It actually took us 13 months. We did lose some customers in the process. But guess what? The customers who didn't want to work that way were not the customers we wanted to keep long term. Mm, 
I completely can see that. It's a whole different way of, of connecting with and serving your clients. And again, the part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show, Kirk, is that I, I do see the connection between value pricing and really working with a purpose and your why. I, I totally see that lineage. There is a connection because if you're passionate about what you do, and most professionals are because, you know, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get the degree or pass the bar exam or whatever it is to set up a practice, to get customers, to build that referral network, et cetera, et cetera. It takes a lot of time and effort to do that. So we're passionate about what we do. We generally would not do it for something that we have no interest in whatsoever. If we're that passionate about it and that is where our why is coming from, why would you not want to carry that concept forward, align with your customer's why, so that everything's incongruent, and as your show is, working on purpose. We're just identifying the purpose that we're working on to be what is the reason the customer wants what they want. What is the outcome? How's that going to impact them? And we're going to align with that. And we're also going far enough to say, if, if the value's not there, we're not going to engage. We're not going to engage you at an hourly rate because you think it's a good idea. If the value's not there, we won't engage. If the value is there, we're going to give you a fixed price with a, with a money-back guarantee. No questions asked. I like it, Kurt. I like it. I like it. And, and, and that actually brings me to the next question I w- I'd like to ask if, 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 you're, if you're game to, to change topics. Are you? I am. Okay. Wasn't sure if there's anything else you wanted to say from the vantage point of being a provider. I'd like it, if you don't mind, to share a bit about how you do consult in terms of your art of value practice. Um, and you, I know that you teach other business owners uh, this business model. So I'm just curious to know, how is it that do you, do you work with your clients in that regard? So work with clients in, you know, two or three different ways. I do coaching, which a lot of times that's with either solo or smaller firms. I do consulting with larger firms where I actually go in and work with them long term. And then I also do speaking uh, as well. So those are, I guess, the primary three ways that I work with customers. The biggest thing that I try to help customers do is to change a mindset, because value pricing is more than just a way to charge the customer, so to speak. It is a philosophy. It's a state of mind. It's a way of thinking about things. I call it the value lifestyle. And you first have to change your mindset before you can really implement this fully. In order to change your mindset, you also have to be committed to it. You can't treat it as something, uh, we'll give this a shot and see if it works. No, it will work because there's too many people who've tried it and been successful for it not to be. If it doesn't work, then something was missed along the way, generally with a mindset. What I find a lot of times is people are still working from an hourly mentality. They're given the customer a fixed price, but then you know, in, in the back room, they're still you know, tracking their time and calculating their hourly rate and trying to see, did I cover my cost? If you are truly pricing based on the value that you're creating for the customer and you're having a great conversation with them so that you discover that value, the margin's going to be there. You may miss it occasionally on a project here or a project there. Nobody hits a home run every time, but you're going to on a regular basis, be hitting higher margins so that you can cover your mistakes. I had a guest on my show one time, Matt Riopel, and he said, pricing covers a multitude of mistakes. 
what he's saying is if you focus on getting the price right in relation to the value for the customer, you can make mistakes in other areas and you're still going to be able to last through those mistakes. You'll be able to cover whatever it is because you set your target on what was important for them. And that's really why this business model makes so much sense. I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, the increased revenue and profit to the provider, but ultimately it's really because it's the right way to serve the customer. Well, it certainly lands well for me, Kirk, and I, I, I think you've explained it extremely well. And, and I guess the other thing I would want to ask is that I would think, just like you, I mean, you were you were the other polar end of this deal on that speaker panel that you were in in 2010, and here you are, <laughs> created a business and speak and coach and are writing a book about this and have done a conference about this. I want to talk about those things, too, by the way. Um, so it's, there's, it strikes me at almost like a movement, it is a movement, and you know I'm indebted to a couple of my friends and mentors who've helped me in this regard. Ron Baker, who's written books on this topic, my friend Ed Kless, who works at Sage Software, have both helped me on this journey, and that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about helping others is because I've been helped. But we estimate, and we haven't done any formal statistics, but we estimate from speaking at conferences, and I say we, meaning the Verisage Institute, which is a group of about 20 fellows who are dedicated to teaching this business model across various professions. We estimate probably about 5%, for example, the accounting profession, probably about 5% of accountants and bookkeepers are implementing this business model. That means the other 95% are not, and that's who we're focused on. So there's a lot of work to do there, but I believe accountants and bookkeepers and also lawyers and the other professions, you're either going to choose to go this direction because you realize it's a better way to do business, or you're eventually going to be forced to because technology is coming, artificial intelligence is coming, and some of that's not already coming. It's already here, and there's going to be more advances. So we're going to have to change, and customers are getting smarter as well. This whole idea of billing by the hour is just such a crappy business model. It was actually came out of the Industrial Revolution. It, you know, it's, it's an idea from manufacturing, and it just it makes no sense. There's, just, there's no way to defend it. And so we're just wanting professionals to offer something to their customer that makes it just a transformational experience. I mean, you think about Disney as a company. Disney sells memories. What do you so as true. an accountant or a lawyer or a software developer or a creative, what do you sell? And how can you take your business into something that's transformational? You know, Kirk, this is a great reason why I wanted to have you on the show because I, I certainly want to be able to evangelize ideas like this and, and a movement like this. And I really also appreciate how you connected how artificial intelligence and robotics, et cetera, will impact how people do their work and certainly price. That's something that's of enormous interest to me. So uh, we may want to pick that up again after the break, but it's already time for us to cut again. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Kirk Bowman, who is the founder of Art of Value, which is a value pricing consultancy in Dallas, Texas. He's also a practicing fellow at the Verisage Institute. He's the host of the Art of Value show, which is a weekly podcast dedicated to exploring the business model of value pricing and professional services. He joins us today from Allen, Texas. We've been talking this time a bit about how value pricing is beneficial to the service provider. After the break, we'll get into more of his thought leadership in terms of his book and his conference and see what else he's up to. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Kirk Bowman, who is the founder of Art of Value. It's a value pricing consultancy here in Dallas, Texas. He's also a practicing fellow at the Verisage Institute. He's the host of the Art of Value show, which is a weekly podcast dedicated to exploring the business model of value pricing and professional services. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So as we were finishing the last segment there, Kirk, we were talking a bit about how value value pricing really also works for the professional services provider. And that was tremendously illuminating. And I love the idea that you're really, in, in many ways, what I would say is you're spearheading a movement, which I certainly embrace. And I also appreciate how you talked about uh, pricing by the hour is back. It comes back from the manufacturing era, which we all know is being, you know, is way gone. And certainly, it's technology is replacing that. So, I guess I'd be interested to understand um, just what it is in relation to the work you've been doing and this whole philosophy of yours. How that impacts what you're creating in the book you're writing. So, I am currently trying to take all of the, these ideas and put them into a book that's really, you know, going to take a lot of the things I teach. And, you know, one of the things, you know, they say, if you want to learn something, teach it. Well, if you want to really learn it, write a book, right? Because it forces you to think through things and 
really make your ideas concrete and comprehensible in a way that just just talking about them and teaching them doesn't. And so that's what I'm trying to achieve through the book is is not only to make it more approachable for those who may or may not engage me in some professional way, but also force me to make it even more concrete and advance my my thinking in that area. So that's that's kind of what's coming behind the book. Okay, I've got to say two things to that, Kirk. First, uh, you, I think you know that I'm writing my own book about my research around meaning, work, and identity, and I completely agree with you that uh, writing is a way for you to crystallize your own thinking about whatever it is that you're you're trying to render on paper. No question about that, which is why in many cases I have blank chapters. <laughs> um, secondly, I'll tell you that as an adjunct professor at Southern Methodist University, I teach various communication and internship classes there, and my students do write papers. And, of course, it is abundantly obvious who knows what they're talking about according to the way they write, right? It's really clear. You know this or you don't. So I just really want to echo what you said there and, that, and the brilliance of that. And I also want to applaud that you take your craft so seriously that you would endeavor the whole book writing process in order to develop and crystallize your own thinking as an offering. I, I just I want to applaud that, Kirk. That's awesome. I can't remember where I heard this, but uh, Seth Godin, somebody asked him, how do you come up with the titles or how do you come up with your books or why do you write books, something like that? And his response was, I write the ones that, that I have to get out. In other words, he was saying, I don't write books because I like writing books. I write books because there's ideas within me that will literally tear me from the inside out if I don't put them down to paper. Mm, I appreciate that. That's absolutely true for me, too, with, with my with my research. I have written a couple of articles, which in and of themselves were, I wouldn't call them birthing rights by any stretch, because I have been through childbirth. But, um, you know, they, certainly a mini-series, I could count for that. So I can appreciate that. Definitely tore me. I needed to get it on paper. Yeah, I've never met anybody who said, oh, I'm so looking forward to writing a book. No, everybody is glad when the book's done. They're thanking their family and all those kind of things. Writing a book is a labor of love, and it's because the subject matter is so transformational from the viewpoint of the author that it would be a disservice to their fellow human beings if they did not put it out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, now to that end, one of the other things that I really appreciate about you as a human being and as a professional, Kirk, is that I do see you as a thought leader. Here you are. I mean, you are you are um, a practicing fellow with the Verisage Institute. Um, I do believe and see that your work is a movement. And now I know that just a few weeks ago, I think it was, you, you hosted uh, your own Art of Value conference. Yes? That's true. So okay, in, tell us, uh, tell us about that. Second- the second full week in November, uh, we did a two-day event, which was the Art of Value Conference. Uh, myself and my Verisage colleague, Ed Kless, and I um, entertained about 35, 40 guests and walked them through this business model of value pricing. And we had very many different individuals in the room. We had a solo uh, accountant from Florida who lives about an hour and a half south of Orlando who dropped her customer load from 150 customers to 50 customers and is making you know twice the amount of money she was previously. And then we had someone over from the UK who is the director of a law firm of 250 people. They were both in the room because they're interested in this business model of value pricing. 
they're not at the same level. One had been doing it longer, one had been doing it less, but we were teaching this. In fact, maybe the best way to kind of give an example of what the conference is about is if I could share a testimonial I just got this past week. Would that be all right? I would like that, and I would I would ask you for that anyway, just to sort of see how this stuff plays out in the real world. So, yes, please, go for it. All righty. So, um, received this via Facebook recently from, and this is an accountant. She leads a, a firm of five people, and uh, she said, uh, my biggest customer has been growing like crazy, and so far they've been pricing the work by the entity or by the company. So, this particular customer has multiple companies. And... She said, because they're growing so fast, I have no clue how many deals that we're going to do in 2018. But bottom line is, I came up with a number, multiplied it by four, and put a price out there that would basically allow us to be there for them for whatever they're going to come up with in 2018. She basically said, I can't imagine there's anything that they would come to us and ask for that we couldn't cover based on what we've been seeing. She went on to say, he said, let me talk to my partner but that she thought he was going to go with it. And she said, look, I may have to hire two people to make this happen, but because I was at the conference, I had the courage, I had the knowledge to put a price out there at this level, she called it an all-you-can-eat buffet. And it's that type of transformation that we're wanting to have with professionals. Put them in a position to do that. And so that was Mm. from uh, someone who attended the conference and when we get a testimonial like that, and at Verisage, we tend to get these on a regular basis, we call it an HSD. HSD stands for High Satisfaction Day. That's a day when something happens or you get a testimonial that's the reason why you do what you do. And that was an HSD for both Ed and I when we got that testimonial. Works for me, too. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, on, back in your conference, I, I want to go back to, to this because I, I appreciate that a conference takes an awful lot of work, an awful lot of planning, an awful lot of hours and energy to actually put on and attract people to, both the people that are going to contribute their thoughts and their knowledge as well as those who want to consume and interact with it. So I, I guess I'd like to know two things. Uh, one, how long have you been hosting this conference? Uh, and two, um, what is it that you're really trying to do in that conference? So the conference, this was our first year. This is the first time we've ever done it. Um, We were fortunate to be able to hold it right before the Verisage Symposium. So the Verisage Symposium is a conference that happens every other year. And it jumps around from place to place. So like two years ago, it was in Boston. Before that, it was in Vegas and so forth. This year, we decided to do it in Dallas. And so we thought, okay, let's put on our own conference right before that. And like I said, we had about 40 people. What we're trying to accomplish there is value pricing is not something that you're like, okay, two plus two is four, got it. No, it's very subjective. That's one of the reasons why so many times I get the question, how do you come up with a number? It requires a lot of iterative type of learning. The testimonial I read just a minute ago, she had been practicing value pricing in her business for a few years. But by coming to the conference, it put her back in that headspace again. It allowed her to renew her mindset, to go deeper into the philosophy of the business model. And it put her in a position to be able to accomplish that. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make progress with mindset. We're trying to help deepen the mindset, to expand the horizon of the philosophy, to help people take it further. Because it's a journey, and you're never going to arrive 
yes, there are people who started earlier on the journey who may or may not be ahead of you, but the bottom line is we're each on our own journey in this discipline of value pricing. And so what we're trying to do is help everyone advance, hopefully not just one level, but maybe two or three levels from being at the conference and interacting with other people. You know how it works with your headspace, right? You go to a conference that's focused on one thing, and after a while, your brain just starts clicking on it because you've been thinking about it and processing about it, and some of your best ideas come up in that time. And that's why we hosted the conference, because in order to be successful with this, you have to continually be growing and learning in the practice. No question about it. And I'll tell you, I, I certainly have an interest in being able to create a, a conference. The reason I perked up about this is I, I would like to be able to gather thought leaders, too, around the world related to working on purpose. And what does that look like? And why is that important? What does that do for engagement? What does that do for performance? What does that do for re- retention? All those important things that matter to the world of organizations and, and certainly um, return on investment for talent. So I, I think it's brilliant. And I am tickled pink that I've been able to cross paths with you. As I say, it was kind of a uh, sheer dumb luck, or if you want to call that the universe had its, it was looking out for me and <laughs> tripped me and had me fall into, your, into the symposium to meet you. But I'm, I'm glad for that, Kirk. This has been such an illuminating conversation for me. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You got me wound up, and I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share these ideas with your audience. Oh, my gosh. You are welcome. And we have just a couple minutes left here in the show, Kirk, and I always like to give my, my guest, if you will, a bit of the last word. So, and maybe, um, you know, a minute to 90 seconds. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? So, I think if there was one thing that I could leave with your audience, it would be this that whether you have sold services by the hour or you purchase services by the hour, I would challenge you to think about what would the experience be like, both for you as a customer or you as a professional, if you were able to deliver to the customer same or better results at a fixed price. How would that change the experience? I think you will realize as a customer, you would much rather buy that way than with the other model because one has certainty and one doesn't. One puts all the risk on the customer, one puts most of the risk on the professional. That's what I would want to leave you with so that whether you are actually an attorney, accountant, or some of the other professions I've mentioned, you'll think about how you interact with professionals. My goal is I want to completely eradicate the billable hour out of existence because I think it's horrible. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Sounds great to me. I'm a convert. Thank you, Kirk. I really appreciate that you that you joined me. And actually, at fairly late notice, I invited you to come on and you said, you know, I, I can make that work. So I really appreciate your flexibility. I appreciate that you shared your passion. I, I, I get so much that this is a this is a purpose for you. This is a purpose driven business for you. And I really appreciate that you shared your passion and your conviction with us this afternoon. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me to be a guest. If you want to learn more about Kirk Bowman and the work he is doing to help business owners convert to a value pricing model, visit him at www.artofvalue.com. That's where you can find more information about him and how to contact him and see what he's up to there. Next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Owen Lynch, who is an associate professor of communication studies at Southern Methodist University, where he and I both teach. He's also the director of research and collaboration at Get Healthy Dallas. Um, he is also my co-author, by the way, in the work that I'm doing on my meeting and work research in the book that we're, we're writing. So I know him well. 
we'll be hearing about his passion, his insights about the work he and his team are doing here in Dallas to address food deserts, among many other topics of interest and things that he's working on. See you then. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.